Welcome to Clearview Community Church Online. We are one church in four locations, and I would personally like to invite you to one of these four locations for an in-person gathering. We have them every single Sunday in Stainer, Cremor, Collingwood, and Wasaga Beach. Now you can find out details about these gatherings on our website, clearviewcommunity.church. So today I want to talk to us about how our identity informs how we treat people. It's a connection that I think it's worth exploring. And how you see yourself and your value in the world, well, that's going to impact how you treat others. And this is a type of domino effect because it directly impacts how faith communities, like the church, how they treat each other. So today, we're looking at a section of the Bible in Hebrews, chapter 10, verses 19 to 25, and we'll explore these together. Here's what it says. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting as some of you are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching." So to understand this passage of Hebrews, we actually want to bookmark it. So you can like, put a finger there on your Bibles and then flip all the way back to our Old Testament in Leviticus chapter 16. And so here's the picture. Israel, it's a large nation of people who have been delivered out of slavery in Egypt through the mighty actions taken on their behalf by God. And part of their life as a nation following God was to serve as the chosen nation of people that hosted the presence of God on earth, thereby inviting the surrounding world and nations around them to relationship with God. And in their camp, there was a tabernacle, and this is the building where God's presence dwelled among the people. And the temple or tabernacle, it served as God's place on earth, and it was decorated in a way that depicted the Garden of Eden, a place that was untouched by sin and the death and destruction in the world that sin brings. Now within the tabernacle, it's a special place called the Most Holy Place, or sometimes called the Holy of Holies. And within the Holy of Holies is the Ark of the Covenant. It's a, a chest and it has a cover called the Atonement Cover or the Mercy Seat. So to recap, Israel has a building called the tabernacle, which has a room called the most holy place. And that room holds the presence of God on the mercy seat, on the atonement cover. And so once a year, the high priest would go into this room and he would make sin offerings for himself and he would have a bath. And what he's doing in this bath is symbolically washing himself of all the uncleanness and the death and the destruction of the sinful world before he enters the presence of the holy God. And then he makes sacrifices and he sprinkles some blood from these sacrifices onto the atonement cover or the mercy seat. And these sacrifices, they symbolically cover over and atone for the sins of that high priest, for his family, his household, and the nation as a whole. 
And so once that happens, he makes the scapegoat sacrifice. Maybe you've heard of this, where he lays both his hands on the head of a goat and confesses the sin and the wickedness and the rebellion of Israel onto the goat's head. And the goat is sent into the desert and it carries the sin away from the nation. So I've just summarized a huge portion of Leviticus here, and it's a fair bit to get for you. So here's the really short version. There's a special place in the Israelite camp where the presence of God resides, the most holy place. And once a year, through a set of symbolic rituals, including washing and water and sprinkling of blood and confessing sin, the priest and only the high priest, he makes atonement for the sins of Israel. This is part of the story of the Israelite people and their history. And so with all of that, we look back at our original passage today. It says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. So let's stop there. I know and you know that the most holy place is a place where only the high priest can go with the blood of a goat or a bull sacrifice. But something here has changed in the death and the resurrection and ascension of Jesus. Because now I'm told I can go into the most holy place and you can go into the most holy place. Meaning that you and I, we can enter the presence of the holy God. It's big news. So let's go to the next part. By a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is, his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. So, furthermore, to our being able to enter the most holy place now, we are permitted and encouraged to draw near to the presence of God with full assurance in our faith, because our hearts have been sprinkled and our bodies washed pure. Now, where have we heard that before? In the same way that the high priest, he makes atonement for the people by the sprinkling of the sacrifice's blood, now the blood of Jesus has been sacrificed for you and for me. And in the same way that the priest was washing himself with water before, our conscience, it's washed clean before a holy God. So this first half of this passage today comes to a transition point that I want to pause at. Do you recognize the incredible thing that's actually happening here? For hundreds of years, the Israelite nation, they relied on one person, the high priest, and it was his job, his role, to draw near to God, to be allowed in his presence. And only after a serious uh, and specific set of symbolic rituals were done. But now, through some mechanism of what Jesus has done, we are able to enter the most holy place and draw near to the presence of God. And how do we do so? Back in verse 19, it tells us, brothers and sisters, since we have the confidence to enter the most holy place, so I went and I looked up this confidently word in the original Greek out of curiosity to get a better picture of this word. We're looking at a confidence that is frank and blunt and public and bold and open and very free. And this is the identity portion of what I want us to focus on today. For some of you, the, the thought of approaching a holy God, it's foreign. It might be intimidating or perhaps it's actually something you want nothing, uh, no part of. But the truth available to all of you today that I think that we find in this passage here is that there is nothing stopping you from boldly, confidently, and freely approaching the presence of God. It's not reserved for a certain person on a certain day. 
it's not reserved for someone who's perfect. You aren't disqualified if you've done something foolish or irresponsible yesterday, today, or, or way in the past. God has made himself available to you and to me. And for many of you, I think you either need to hear that you have permission to approach God or you need to give yourself permission. Our hearts that desire the sins of this world, they've been made clean through the blood of Jesus. And our conscience, knowing everything that we've done and that we've sinned before a holy God, it's washed clean. And what you are is you are welcome at the seat of mercy, in the place of God's presence. That is where you are welcome. So that becomes a part of your identity. And so at the beginning of this conversation, I said how we understand our identity directly impacts how we treat other people. So let's look at the remaining part of this scripture, and we'll land with a few thoughts that I'd like to share with you. It says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who is promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Tells us to let us draw near to God, to hold to the hope that we profess. It tells us to spur or encourage one another towards love and good, and just to flat out encourage each other. And then it says to meet together. All of these are relational expressions like hope and encouragement and getting and gathering together. It all comes from a place of identity. You know, knowing that because of Jesus, I draw near to God. And because of that, I draw near to his people. It comes back to the story of Israel again. And the place where God is, is in the middle of what? It's a community. The tabernacle that holds the presence of God was right in the middle of a group of people, the Israelites. And as they drew near to God, as they gathered and got close to God, they intentionally grew near to each other. You want to know what's really uncomfortable? It's being in community with someone. It's duly acknowledging our imperfection and our sin and duly recognizing our need for a savior and duly recognizing that we are atoned for and cleansed by the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross and duly moving forwards with hope and encouraging each other to love and encouraging each other to goodness and meeting together often and regularly. These are all hallmarks of a community of people who are saved by Jesus, and it's all uncomfortable. These are the characteristics of a people who have the greatest thing in common, Jesus. And because of him and his saving work, we draw near to him and to each other. And it's messy, it's not easy. It still involves the one thing in the world that every conflict has, other people. The whole passage screams engaging with what is uncomfortable. It speaks to honestly and openly recognizing our need for Jesus as individuals, but also as a community. You know, one of the greatest tragedies over the past hundred years is the gradual idolization of the individual and the complete abandonment of the idea that we belong to a community. And that idea has creeped into the practice of faith sometimes. But what we see in the sections of Leviticus and this part in Hebrews that the high priest, he makes atonement for the whole community. And we see the same thing happen in the sacrifice of Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. So let's look back at this main idea that I presented to you earlier. What you think about your identity, it directly impacts how you treat people. Or in a shorter way, 
your personal identity impacts your larger community. So for those of you listening today who follow Jesus, your identity as someone who has been atoned for and cleansed and welcomed into the presence of God, it's one of the most freeing and empowering truths that you can live and remind yourself of every single day. It releases you and gives you that confidence, that boldness to draw near to God and to hold on to hope and to encourage one another and to love and be good and to continually meet together as the people of God. It's challenging you to be uncomfortable because being with people can be uncomfortable. The people of God's presence together, it's not necessarily easy, but it's good. Let's pray. God, we are thankful for the freedom to draw near to you and the confidence that we have to do so. We know that as we draw near to you, you draw us uh, closer to others as well. And so, Lord, in the mess and in the uncomfort and in the difficulty of what it means to live in community, we pray for wisdom and for guidance, for hope and for goodness and for love. And Lord, we are thankful for the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross that cleanses our sins, that atones for us. And the freedom we live in, Lord, we say thank you. We praise in Jesus' name. Amen. So thanks for joining us this morning. We'll see you next time.